Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. I was still recovering from the events of the White Crocodile, Green Sun case, when I got the message from Control. Aren't we supposed to get a Christmas break or something? Maybe a bonus? A Yule log? A pudding with exactly 13 figs to commemorate some obscure Catholic event? Anything? Maybe I just wanted some more time off. Jack, one of our clients, codenamed Farmhouse 192, Missouri, has gone silent. Please investigate and ensure the safety of our clients. Well, at least it wasn't too far. The paranormal Pinkertons are not an extra-governmental agency with infinite budgets. I understand that there's some shenanigans when it comes to our benefits and health care, but that's not the same. Some organizations have whole kill squads, complete with anti-mind-control helmets, and an answer for everything, even though the answer is almost always violence. Besides being paid for all the BS jobs with drug addicts and UFO believers, which days the Société Etranger and others are too good for, a lot of places that were, shall we say, out of network for those powerhouses, pay a small fee disguised as some sort of farming expense. This fee is, well, a protection fee. We provide little things that keep out the monsters in the night. There's another part to that fee. If something happens... We come in and we slaughter whatever ate Farmer John. We make them pay publicly, for the supernatural world anyway, and paidfully. Pinkerton farms are protected. If you nibble on one of them, even a little, I burn out your entire environment. It rarely happens. Farmers are firm believers in the Second Amendment. I arrived at night. The homestead sat at the edge of town, just edging into the trees. I kept the car a little bit away from the property line. You know, the spot where it's a little too far to walk, but any suspicious neighbors wouldn't directly connect to the homestead anything. I walked up the driveway and considered the building ahead. The lights in what I assumed was the living room were on. I took a non-suspicious look into the window and saw no one. At this point, I was sure something happened. The trucks were in the driveway, and the mail had been taken in. There weren't signs of neglect, but that meant nothing. I checked the doormat and found the key. I spent a second thinking of how to enter the building. I could check the back entrance, but that was a more obvious move. A paranormal Pinkerton move. I used the front door like I belonged there. The house was quiet. Entirely still. No snoring, no creaks from people turning in their beds. No one was making popcorn for a late-night matinee. 
There had been life. The couch had a blanket folded messily over the back. The remotes were off the side or onto the floor. I slid off to the side, off the main passage. The automatic systems should have left a coded phone call or text message with the time of my arrival. Dominating a wall by the front door, a recent portrait of the family hung on the wall. A stocky white man with a beard, his wife, brunette, shapely, and their held baby. There was a daughter, about nine years old, all seriousness and responsibility. A son, about six years old, glared at the camera, itchy in his first suit and radiating barely contained energy. Below it was a realistic-looking sword held by a wooden plaque. It said, To the Woodson family, from the Jackson family, justice, devotion, courage. The Lord will deliver you. A sentiment I hoped I was the instrument of. I get tired of corpses and vengeance some days. I listen carefully, cocking my head, my hand playing at my holster. I check the mantle above a false fireplace. A bowl held dusty keys. Whatever lived-in condition the house was in, no one had used the trucks. I pulled the 1911 out of my holster. I stuck my back to the wall and edged towards the dining room. I knew the layout. This was a large house. There were two dens, one in the basement, the front room being some sort of fancy gathering place I had no word for. I assume it was a rich person thing. Imagine it. Serious people graduated from college with an architecture degree, only to have a guy like me call it a fancy gathering place. The shadows clutched at everything, lengthening and shortening in uneven measures. I didn't dare turn on the light. My enemies surely knew that I had entered the house, and I wasn't going to give them another advantage. I checked under the table. Nothing. I slid around the wall to the kitchen. There was no door. The moon came in pretty clear from a window, but it revealed nothing. No menacing shadow, no waiting specter. I slipped into the kitchen, felt something above me, spun, and fired. The bullet skittered over the mannequin-like spider body of the thing I called the puppeteer. The limbs met at deeply cut joints that twisted and rotated, plucking at strings I could not see, yet felt the vibrations of. The whole thing was like someone had smashed ten fiberglass mannequins together. The eyes were black void holes. There were only two, but they were massive, empty, but the whole thing set my teeth on edge. Hate and amusement mingled in ways I cannot explain. I felt myself black out. It had me. I aimed better, but the monster spat silver threads into my face. My mind went blank. This wasn't the black memory sea of the drug, but a deep pit. I could do nothing. I felt nothing but the rush of a void I screamed into. I lost myself. Though I was just a soul, I was tossed and tumbled up against perfectly slick walls, and then back into the void of a center. I was a child, fearful. I was a baby, weeping into my mother's suffocating hand. I was a teenager, angry, talking to control, because otherwise there wasn't anyone else for months. Alone. Nothing but a scrap of soul rags dancing in the wind. I forced myself to calm down. The panic was not sustainable. I was a man who controlled himself. I've reset bones with my own hands. I've beat the puppeteer before. 
I would do it again. First, I stopped my tumble. I spread my hands and arms until I stabilized. Next, I brought myself into my prayer position. Though there was no floor, I knelt with my hands on my knees, head bowed and heart quieted. The rest is private. The first glimmer of anything besides the void was my feet shooting out from my kneeling position to straight walking, stiff-legged. Then my arms grabbed something I could feel but not see. My back straightened, then bent. My knees collapsed down. I pantomimed, looking under something. I found nothing, because then I bent straight up and Frankenstein walked forward. I focused on my eyes. I needed to see. Above my head I heard something fall in the scurrying feet of something small. My neck cricked, nearly breaking as my controlled body listened in the most exaggerated posture I could think of. One more time, monster. I don't think the blind person in the back figured out that I was listening to whatever was hiding from me. The shadows gained form. My feet hit the first stair. The next foot landed beside it, then took the second. My hand laid itself on the banister, but it did not grip it. I did not need to. Despite the jerkiness of my movement, my motions were perfectly balanced. Another step. Another. Perfect gravitas. Each step had a weight and sound to it. The thing was taunting my prey. I could see the walls and stairs now. Not much, very little, but more with every few minutes. When I reached the top, my head twisted, looking, listening. Each motion had an individual movement, robot-like and violent. I took hold of a door and twisted the knob. I threw it open, sticking my head into the room and looking around. Baby's room. Toys everywhere, but there wasn't anywhere for the kid to hide. I closed the door, more gently than I thought the creature capable. I could see with my usual acuity by now. The thing had painted its triangle symbol all over the house. In the little glimmers of moonlight, I could see the threads twitching and dancing from symbol to symbol. I could feel the thing through the threads. It sat on the pinnacle of the roof, its hands twitching and playing with the threads that led into its body like a master guitar player. It was like those old martial arts films, with some ancient Mandarin playing Old Man in the Mountain to no one but himself. I tried to go further, but I recoiled. It burned. I reached the next door. Its inhabitant had covered it in pictures of Godzilla and robots fighting over a mostly crispy Tokyo. Tom on the nameplate. This one I pushed open, violently. It slammed against the opposite wall and I stomped in like a Saturday morning cartoon villain. I overturned the bed for no reason, the strength coming easily to throw it across the room. This one had a closet. I pulled the sliding door off and stuck my head in. I made noises by tearing off the coat hangers and ripping off the crossbar. I slammed the door shut. As long as the survivors remained quiet, I probably wouldn't find them. There were three doors left. The next was a bathroom. The lights were shattered and the shower open and dripping. I threw open its closet to nothing. Across the master bedroom, I kicked the door open. With Frankensteinian stiffness, I ran to the bed, bent down, and threw myself under the bed to my shoulders. Nothing. No fevered eyes looked back at me. 
The room was what I imagined most master bedrooms looked like. The dark blue walls were dotted with wedding and life pictures. I flung the bookshelf down onto the floor. Nothing. I turned to a wall vent and ripped it out of its sockets. There was nothing but dust bunnies and an errant Lego brick. The headboard of the bed was screwed to the wall. There was nothing in the closet. There was a bathroom attached, which held nothing of interest to me or the puppeteer. All this time I prayed the kids wouldn't bolt. They would keep quiet in whatever bolt hole Mr. Woodson prepared against disaster. I didn't care what happened to me, but I prayed every conscious second that I wouldn't catch hide or hair of them. I kicked the walls, double-checked the bathroom. Then I stumbled to the center of the room and waited. I crossed my arms and locked my legs straight. The second stretched until I lost track of time. It was like a fast-forwarded movie. Humans aren't built to be still. We move constantly, not just breathing, but twitching fingers, tapping feet. The muscles tire after too long without movement. Sure, one of those red-liveried guards can stand for hours at his post, but you don't see the thousand micro-movements he makes. A stiff breeze causes his spine to straighten. A tourist taking a picture moves his eyes. A gnat lands on his nostrils, so he snorts. I made no movements, not a single one. I didn't shift my weight. I only took in enough breath to keep me alive. My chest did not rise or fall. I blinked so rarely that the blink was more painful than my drying eyes. The puppeteer was keeping me alive with as little investment as possible. I felt my bones groan and creak without relief. All of my senses stretched to their limit. I heard flies buzz outside and knew what it meant. Something in the basement clicked. The puppeteer above changed its position, sliding closer to the wall. Its hand-feet pattered gently against the roof. Instead of Old Man in the Mountain, it was the tension of a guitar riff before the big solo. Something rumbled in the street, passing. Light shone through one of the windows open to the hallway. It didn't stop, but the engine accelerated away, probably having a better night than me. I squashed the thought. No self-pity. I sharpened my wits. Rather than being a passive observer, I tried to force my will back into my limbs. I'm not sure how to describe it. When picking up a cup, there are motions that are specific to the idea of picking up a cup. The fingers open. They grip. The hand moves up and down. Muscles in your forearms tense. Most people have never crept fingertip to fingertip in the dense underbrush. The tension as a man with a bull whip stands out, listening for any rustle. If I can touch him. Without getting struck by his whip, I get to eat. That moment by moment, the control I wish to exert tensed through my fingers. Just a little, just a twitch more. Sweat fell off my nose, my eyes stung and wept. Another twitch. I won't lose. I wasn't going to be controlled by anything. By anyone. I felt the puppeteer shift its tune like variations in a Trent Reznor set. It beat low and deep into my nervous system. I started to growl, pushing myself against the wall of its sadistic will. Then, 
by some demonic whim, some horrid mote of dust inspired by the devil himself, one of the children coughed and whimpered. I lost my battle, turned and ran at the walk-in closet, arms outstretched, silent as a night terror. The puppeteer thrust itself into me. I threw the closet door open so hard it broke off the hinges. I found the tiniest of lines cut into the wall and jammed my fingertips into it. My nails pulled away from the fingertips, and I could not scream. I ripped open the wall. I nearly broke my back, cracking the safe room. I ripped open the door and stood over the children. I've never truly wanted to die before that moment. I can't imagine what it looked like to them. I'm tall and thin, but that trench coat gives my body real mass. I'm not a pretty man. Bareheaded, red eyes shining in what little moonlight reached the closet. My fingers bleeding onto the closet floor, my body in an unnatural posture, hulking over children. Was I smiling? The girl was trying to hold a gun, a pea shooter of some small caliber, but she couldn't pull the trigger. Her hand shook. She tried. I could see it in her eyes. She wanted to more than anything, but she couldn't pull the trigger. Her killer instinct fled. Terror does that to the weak. I slapped it away. The boy punched me in the crotch. The baby was swaddled, pressed up against a young girl's body, wriggling. I bent down, reaching out to grasp her thin neck. I was on my knees, watching my own hands try to snuff out an innocent life. The boy ran. The puppeteer focused its will on her. Her face turned red. Her hand dropped the baby and stiffened, twisting, not even able to bring enough control to claw out my eyes or tear out my throat. I could feel the delicate bones in her neck bend. I gnashed my teeth and begged God to kill me. The baby screamed. The boy returned. He shouted and swung the sword at my back. He missed my flesh, but not the threads. My right side collapsed. The strings were broken. I bent back and caught the sword on its downswing. I ignored the cuts in my hand and swung the sword over my head. The lines bent and cut. The puppeteer tried to make me exert the strength necessary to crush the girl, but I fell to the ground, face to carpet. I got up a second later. The girl rasped, but she breathed. The baby was screaming and the boy was crying. I ran for the nearest window. I smashed it open with my left shoulder and found the roof. It was a craftsman house. Simple, slanted roof. Despite the pain my body felt, I reached out with my right hand and grabbed the gutter. I was hysterical, and that adrenaline gave me the power to do a push-up. I scrambled up the peak and ran at the puppeteer. It did not expect that, and I was on it in a bare second. I cut into its upheld arms, crossed to try and ward me off. I shattered them. They were empty. Nothing poured out of them. It felt something like fiberglass and plastic, all fragility and brittle strength. It tackled me, sending me falling off the roof and into a pool covered with a tarp. I lay there for a little bit until I caught my breath. When I had control over myself, I left but not before jamming the sword into the door. 
I stumbled to my car and called a contact in the sheriff's department who's in the know. I can't remember what I told him, but I saw a cop car jet into the cul-de-sac before I'd even turned the corner. I retreated to one of the motels and answered my contact's questions as best I could. The parents didn't make it, but the girl will live. Thank God for small mercies. I couldn't imagine what I would have done with myself. In any case, I've spent a long time drunk. Too long, probably. There were a lot of text messages from Control left for me. This was too far. Jack Morrow. Out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler, who also edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our audio editor. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, support us on Patreon, or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our unauthorized episodes as well. Thank you for listening.